This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. We continue today with part four of our uh, five-part series, The Opioid Crisis here in Hamilton. Uh, All this week on the Bill Kelly Show, we have been taking a look at the growing opioid crisis in our country, and in particular here in the Hamilton community, and what's being done about this. And uh, we want to talk about uh, addiction, certainly. Uh, We want to talk about facing addiction, dealing with addiction, but we also want to talk about some of the services that are available for people to break free of addiction and how easy or difficult it can be to do that, and at the same time, how easy it can be to relapse and what happens in those situations. This is not an easy process by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, We're so pleased to welcome a a great panel to talk about that today. Uh, Melissa Latchford is an addictions worker with SunTrack Admission Services in Hamilton. Good to have you here. Thank you, Bill. And uh, Corey McElveen, McElveen, I'm sorry, addiction worker, drug treatment, court support uh, with Mission Services as well. Uh, Great to have you here, Corey. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. We met uh, Heidi yesterday, of course, and she gave us a little bit of an insight, uh, Melissa, into what goes on with the SunTrack program. I want to spend a little more time talking about that because... Uh, you, you two are the people that are on the front line. When, when somebody reaches that point in their lives and makes that decision that I'm going to have to get some help, I need some stuff like this, you're, you're the people that answer that call literally and figuratively mm-hmm. in a situation like this. So let's, let's talk a little bit, for those that maybe didn't hear the segment yesterday, about what, exactly what the SunTrack program is because it's a key element in, in, in moving forward with next steps for those people. Yeah, certainly. So SunTrack Wellness and Addiction Treatment Center, uh, we're a community-based treatment center, which means that the individuals do not stay there. They get to um, sometimes keep their jobs, stay at a home, and they have the option of coming to either uh, day programming or evening programming. We also offer drop-in groups. So for individuals who are interested in, in kind of exploring their substance use, maybe learning a little bit more, um, that option's also available to them. So How do you make the determination as to who does what? Well, um, is, is that up to the individual or up to you? That's You're definitely right. It's up to the individual. So how individuals get into our programming is they attend what we call orientation. And at that time, the individuals hear all about our programs and all the options that they have at SunTrack. And then they get to make the decision and whether or not they would like a drop-in group or treatment programming. Uh, do you have any input mm-hmm. into that? Oh, so what would happen? Because you're learning as they're learning. That's right. So definitely at the orientation, the individual who facilitates that can... Um, can help guide the individual. Sometimes the individual is unsure of which programming would be the best fit for them. So after some conversation, um, the facilitator will kind of guide them to what that may be best appropriate for them. Uh, we also meet with clients for what we call intake. And at that process, we are also able to um, help the client work through that and make sure they're signing up for the program that's going to best fit their needs at that time. When, when you're having that discussion and, and you're doing, I guess, that, that first meeting, uh, Corey, uh, d- 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 what, what, what are the sort of things that you talk about to, to try to gain some insight? Uh, because there's a, as we've, we've talked about on the program this week, one of the most important elements, and I guess and one of your goals immediately, is to develop a level of trust between the two of them. And so you, I, I'm sure you want to get information, but at the same time, you, you, there's a, a methodology that you have to follow, isn't there? Most definitely. I think it's really important that we're... Um, focusing on engagement because the people that we're working with are often um, those in our community who are maybe no one knows about their addiction or maybe there's obviously some guilt and some shame or maybe just some straight embarrassment um, trying to figure out what they want and what they need and and I'm really empowering them to make some healthy decisions that's what I think is the biggest part often what's immediate what's their immediate need so do we need to encourage that person to go to withdrawal management which would be um, men's withdrawal management or women's withdrawal management for my programs because we we do work with women in the drug treatment court program Um, what's what's best for them and I think 
that individualized program and figuring out where they need to go and where they want to go is is a key piece of engagement and part of that intake process. Is, is there a difference in gender? Are, are more men than women? More women than men? Is it 50-50 as you, as you look at this? I mean, we, we've talked in general terms that, you know, mm -hmm. the, it, it, it picks its, its, you know, people that it's affecting, uh, you know, you don't know who it's going to be. I mean, lawyers, doctors, uh, it could be any radio announcers, it goes <laughs> right down the list. But what about yeah. gender? Um, I don't think that gender really plays a, a piece or a role in those things. I think that men and women, women often handle things very differently um, or sometimes the exact same. Um, I don't think that gender, race, culture, any of those things really affect addiction itself, just maybe how we handle the addiction. So the, you, you're having that meeting, you're having that discussion, which is the first of many discussions, I would think, at that stage, and, and there's an evaluation process that goes on at that stage. Mm -hmm. What kind of questions when you're having this discussion? I, I, I got an idea, Melissa, what you're asking them. What are they asking you? So some of the things that they initially ask would be, you know, what services do you provide? How is this program going to help me? And how are you going to help me get through this difficult time? Um, so some of the questions, uh, sometimes individuals come to us and they have had no prior treatment history. So this is all new to them. Uh, so a lot of the time it's... Um, explaining to them step by step how this is going to work and what services we can offer them. And when we do provide them with other services outside of SunTrack, we also um, walk them through those steps. So we don't just say, well, here you go, see you later. Um, it's a lot of walking with them side by side throughout their journey. You just mentioned something else. You guys both talked about this in, uh, in your uh, opening remarks here uh, about the, the, the feeling of guilt uh, that sometimes people will have uh, that well, I failed. I'm, you know, maybe maybe not a first time. So maybe somebody who's been there maybe once, twice, three times. Uh, I, I think uh, Debbie told us the story the other day of somebody. I think it was twenty-eight times uh, came back into the program. Uh, I, I guess one of the messages at that stage that you've got to get across to them, Corey, is that you, that you guys are not judgmental. Yeah, absolutely. Judgment can be a really negative thing that they're feeling. Um, our judgment through when you're trying to be an addictions worker is really just trying to judge their situation yeah. to ensure that they can come back rather than offering them negative judgment or criticism. Um, and if it's criticism, it needs to be constructive. Mm -hmm. um, trying to ensure that they know they're always welcome to come back to a taking steps group, which is that drop-in group that we have through SunTrack is just so vital. Knowing that no matter where they are in life, they're always welcome back in our service is really really important. The sense of belonging is really what most human beings are looking for. Do they understand uh, when, the, when they do decide to seek help in a situation like this that, uh, that this is going to be a journey, Melissa? It's, it's not like a 30-day program and, you know, go have a good life now. You're, you're cured. You're mm -hmm. fine. Well, that's something we often have conversations with clients about and just try to encourage them to know that this is a this is a journey. It's a process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight and that we're here to to help you through that. And um, it sometimes clients, you know, they would like it to be quickly, but that's not how it well, works. We, we live in a fast that's food right. society, don't we? That's right. We want that We want it fixed right? now. That's right. <laughs> I want it fixed yesterday. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'll do this program for 10 days and then I should be fine, mm -hmm. right? Right. And, and mm -hmm. that's the attitude they take going in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be eye-opening, though, as they go through this and, and, and try to deal with this because there's, as we found out from some of our previous panels this week, there is a physical and there's also a psychological aspect of this. Definitely. Definitely. Mental health is a very big piece uh, when we work with addiction. Um, so Corey shared earlier that she's from the Concurrent Disorders Program, as am I. And uh, oftentimes mental health and addiction go hand in hand. Um, it's not always the case, but we do see it quite a bit. So it's not only addressing the addiction, but it's also addressing what mental health concerns they may have and matching them with the most appropriate supports. Mm -hmm. 
which is an important part of this. Well, you know, we talk about dealing with addictions uh, in, in this situation specifically, Corey. Uh, but you usually don't have one issue to deal with as you as you start to develop that relationship with the individual who's come over to you at this stage. It, uh, there's there's usually a basket of things that you have to deal with here. Absolutely. We're dealing with, um, you mentioned like instant gratification, those wants, those needs right away. We're talking about housing. We're making sure they have food in their bellies, um, their family supports and what that life looks like. There's so many complex issues. And of course, you mentioned the uh, the physical addiction or um, dependence versus, you know, their addiction and then their psychological dependence. And all different substances have kind of a different hold on each individual. And, and that's a very, very complex thing to work through with each individual and very different for each person. As you're going through the program with the the, 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 the folks that are rolled in there and however they decide they're going to actually do this, Melissa, uh, at, at some point do you have to drill down and find out? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you you have an addiction and, and I'm glad you came forward and we have to try to, to get you off that and wean you off that and, and to try to help you to cope with this. But as we've heard, and I'm, I guess you guys see this on a daily basis, there's uh, at some point in their core there's a reason why they became addicted in the first place and that that's maybe one of the toughest nuts to crack i would think certainly um i think as heidi was saying yesterday nobody wakes up and says i want you know i want to be an addict um this is my goal in life uh, there are certainly factors that can lead an individual to have an, an addiction and those factors um are very unique to each each person to kind of sit here and list a multitude of reasons uh i don't think it would be beneficial because every person is unique and what may have brought them to where they are we have to um we have to deal with that on an individual basis and that can take some time and it I think a lot of it comes with building rapport with the client um, and the client feels that they can trust you to open up and share some of the things that they've experienced in their lives, um, a lot of hardships. And it's our job to sit there and to listen and to um, evoke change in a positive way. Yeah, we don't need to do a laundry list of what might, you know, those things might be, uh, Corey, mm-hmm. but the reality is, is we see this stuff every day. You know, we know that there are economic downturns. We know that people are losing their jobs. Uh, many of them well into their careers in, in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are all of a sudden told, you know, you're not working here anymore. Uh, family pressures, uh, any number of different things like that. There's there's a, 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 probably an infinite number of, mm-hmm. of rationales for this and how people respond to this, I guess. And as you say, there are probably no two people that respond to it the same way anyway. That's right, absolutely. And, and like you said, no, the reason why two people came into um, – into their world of struggling with addiction is so different, which means their journey towards their recovery is going to be so different. And they may go to the exact same treatment program and have the same counselor and have the same everything and their lives are still going to be very different. Um, And we need to make sure that we remain individualized in our treatment planning for each person. I remember attending a commencement ceremony at a a college uh, some years ago, and uh, the the, the keynote speaker made, I I thought, an interesting point, because a lot of the time, you want want to fill people with confidence, right? And so it's, you know, you're going to go out there, and you're going to be fabulous, and you're going to be great, and you're going to change the world, and and everybody, yeah, that's feeling pretty good. This guy came out and said, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Mm -hmm. Long term, we want you to succeed, but you're going to fail, not just once. You're going to fail a whole bunch of times. Uh, but don't let that stop you. You know, if you get knocked down 10 times, get up 11 times, that sort of thing. And it was a different take on the whole thing. And I would imagine to a certain extent that's that's kind of the attitude you have to take with them. This is not going to be an easy road for them. 
No, you're right. It's not going to be easy, but it's likely going to be very much worth it. And I think the word failure is a huge piece of what Melissa and I face every day. And what everyone who's struggling with anything in life, we often learn a lot from our failures or in the addictions world, we call, you know, a relapse or, and that relapse can be mental. Yeah, maybe failure is the wrong word. Then. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much success that can come from someone taking a couple steps back. And, you know, if they're relapsing emotionally or mentally or, or physically, actually, you know, choosing to use that substance again, there's so much to learn. Why did that happen? How did that happen? What has your life looked like? And that way, while they're in a supportive environment, whether it be through SunTrack or the Drug Treatment Court program, we can support them through that, which means it's a safe place to make those mistakes or failures or have be you know facing that setback lose your job when you're in our treatment program deal with those emotional issues so that you have that support of of your counselors and also of, of the of your peers right that's really what many 12-step programs are based on is just being around peers people who get what you're going through and understand and, and again it goes back to sense of belonging and moving on with that in mind then it's pretty obvious melissa there is no cookie cutter uh program for this, is there? You're 100% correct. Uh, that's why it's so important that when they initially come into our programming that we're, um, we're planning with them, not for them. So it's looking at addressing what needs they have and then um, working towards finding them services or how, ways that we can help them that's going to fit that individual. And uh, there is no such thing as one size fits all. And everybody is unique as well as their treatment and as well as their recovery. So you're also a portal for information then. I mean, obviously there's a program and, and services that you you guys are delivering here but at the same time i gotta think that a lot of people that are, are, are dealing with addictions right now probably don't know of the other support services that are available to them that's right a lot of the times we have to be those educators and share with the individuals that we work with um, what's available in the community because we, we live in hamilton there's many many services but how to go about accessing those accessing those services sorry can be difficult at times and that's when we step in and, and we definitely show them the way we you know help them make those phone calls we help them get to those appointments if needed um there's we're definitely like you know as i was saying we're a service hub but it's how to get to to those services to get the best of what they can provide how difficult is it to to get them to open up Corey, and, and to talk about their their stories and 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 the things that are affecting their lives that, that maybe put them in that position well, for some people, it's very easy. They're very trusting. And you mentioned the word trust. And we keep saying engagement and all of those things. And some for some people, it's easy. Some people, they're just so desperate for anyone to listen to get them that help in that moment that that they'll love for someone to hear them and finally be heard. And then there's people who have been, um, you know, pushed off by so many people and their their trust is at a point where we need to work very hard. And we're talking about very surface things, you know, surface items about, you know, what did you do today? What did your day look like today? Those basic things. And and it sometimes takes weeks or months. Um, I was just working with a client recently and I've been working with him for five months and just, just, I finally, I was like, oh, there you are. There, there's the guy I've been working with, you know? And it's so amazing and so enlightening for them to let you in. It's really, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege. Well, there's a, a probably an element of human nature that we, we tend to build up walls and barriers and a mm -hmm. facade maybe in some cases yeah. so we can hide behind. And, and you just mentioned that a lot of the people that are, are realizing that they're living with addictions right now would, would probably do that because they don't want people to know what's actually going on inside of them. Most definitely. Imagine if you had to walk up to your employer and say, hey, so-and-so, I'm an addict or, I, or I'm struggling with addiction or I'm an alcoholic or, you know, I, I don't get, I don't know what's going on. How that would take so much courage. And, and what if you did that and you were um, blown off, you know, or you were fired 
or you were reprimanded. Like those are negative responses to someone trying to open up. And unfortunately, so many of us have experienced that regardless of what our struggles are in life. So for them to come in and for us to try and be encouraging, they have to believe in us. And uh, we're so pleased to have Melissa Latchford, addictions worker with SunTrack, uh, Mission Services in Hamilton with us, and Corinne McElveen, an ad- addiction worker with the Drug and Court Support Program with uh, Mission Services as well. Uh, thank you both uh, for being here with us today. I, I, we're talking about this off the air just during the news update, and I just I want to get this out here for you too, uh, because we've talked about the challenges and the, and the fact that this is a this is a tough program to go through, uh, because we were talking about some pretty serious stuff here. Uh, you're special people to do this. Uh, it takes a, no, it takes a real talent to be able to do this and to dedicate uh, your careers to this. And there are a lot of great people. I mean, you two are here today, and that's great. But I know. There are lots of other people around this community with mission services and many other agencies that do this and and basically say, we're not going to give up. Uh, and, uh, but it's got to be frustrating sometimes. I mean, you're dealing with some pretty serious stuff here, and it's not as if everybody's jumping up and down saying, I'll do it. Don't worry about this. This is uh, this is real life, and there, there, there are a lot of times where people fall back, and that's got to be frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, you have to keep going forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think the line that I used was sometimes you just want to grab someone and shake them um, because we, we see the good. And that's what our job is. We're really like to motivate those individuals to make move forward and see. But someone who struggled to see the good in themselves or the, their situation for so long, maybe since childhood, as we kind of discussed, um, how can they see the positives? So it's really showing them what the positives are and encouraging them to focus on those things and saying, like, I believe in you. And, you know, if they're lucky enough to have a family member or a loved one there or um, a friend or just a peer from group saying, like, hey, I believe in you, too. Like, that can make the world of difference for somebody. So just that positive encouragement can be so wonderful. But a lot of the time, though, Melissa, as we've heard from some of our other panelists, and, and you and I have t- t- talked about some of these stories as well, uh, they don't give a damn about themselves, and they don't think anybody else gives a damn about them. That's a, that's that's a pretty big obstacle to overcome. Definitely, it definitely is, and it's. I think a part of our role is to show them that hey, like I am here and I care, and you have a group of people that you, you know, you're going through this journey with here at SunTrack, for example, that also care about you and want to see you do well. And we know that you've maybe you've tried this a hundred times before. But as we said earlier, it takes a lot of failure before you can um, achieve success. And it's not, a, it's not about the race. It's, a, it's about the journey and the process to getting there. Mm-hmm. And, and getting there. By the way, we should also mention, you, we mentioned uh, that there's a men's services program, a women's services program. You also have assistance for families. We do. So we have a, a wonderful program that runs every Thursday evening from 6.30 to 8. And it's called Partners in Recovery. And this is for family members and friends who have a loved one that's struggling with addiction. And maybe, you know, they don't know what to to do or they don't know where to go or how to turn for help. It's a wonderful place for them to come in to a supportive environment to have some of their, some of those questions answered, um, to have an outlet to um, to share what their experience is and to be in a room with people who know what they're talking about, who know um, the same feeling that they're experiencing. When we're dealing with addictions like this, uh, the, the, the propensity oftentimes is to fall back when, when there's a, a setback and simply say, here I go again. Uh, I got to get some of that stuff again. Uh, and when somebody comes to you and says, "I, I, I got to leave the program. I, I, I just can't do this anymore." How, how do you how do you deal with something like that, Corey? One, I think the biggest question is why. 
um, sometimes they don't even know why. And so if they can't answer why, that's often maybe just driven by their urges or their cravings. So even, you know, after you've had some some decent time of sobriety without having any mood-altering substances in your body, um, there's, some, there's post-acute withdrawal. Those things are there. Those urges are there. Those dreams are there. All of those things are, and they're normal and they're natural. And so having those conversations and just, uh, again, offering encouragement. It's so important to encourage people and say, like, Again, we care. We want you to move forward. Um, and maybe just come today. Maybe just come tomorrow. It's like when you really don't want to exercise, put your runners on and sit there for a minute with your runners on until you feel like going outside. And then maybe it'll come. So often in that moment, we're so, we all get that urge to run. We all get that urge to, you know, you know I'm done. I'm not interested. Throw our hands in the air. But if we take a few minutes and breathe or maybe asleep on it, that's what, it's a common um, life skill that we need to work on for for so many things. And again, when we're struggling people with addiction, it's really life skills that all of us need to learn. You know, patience, tolerance, those things can really go far. It's not just about staying sober. When people are in the program, uh, Melissa, and uh, and as you say, maybe they're trying to carry on with their lives and, and coming to see you every now and then or whenever the, the schedule is that you guys have agreed upon for that individual. Uh, are you concerned that uh, once they're out there that they're still exposed to the problems that got them in there in the first place? Well, I think that's what's the most wonderful thing about our community treatment is that they're in treatment while they're being exposed to all of these things that um, trigger them to use substance to begin with. So when they are out in the community and are exposed to these things and they bring it back to us, okay, how can we deal with that? What are some ways that we can manage these cravings and these triggers? What are some healthier alternatives to using and that's when the real work happens because it's wonderful to learn these skills in groups and to learn these skills in our one-to-ones, but it's taking those skills outside and test driving them and applying them. And that's what I really try to drive home to the individuals that I work with that, it, you know, in these four walls, you're safe and, you know, you have the opportunity to practice these skills, but it's so important to take them out and use them. When, when I, I was amazed at uh, some of the information that we've been receiving about this. And, and yesterday, uh, one of the statistics that really just kind of jumped out at me is that when it came to abuse of opioids, Hamilton actually I think mm-hmm. is the is the highest number here in all of Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, which to me was a very surprising number. But I guess you you're the ones that see this. I, you're both nodding as soon as I said that. So this is not a surprise to you. It's not a surprise. And often um, we don't hear, you know, in the news and we hear about, you know, a death or something like that because it's an extreme case, right? Um, Coroner's reports come out a year later sometimes. So we don't know what, you know, what happened last year. Um, But the people that we work with, that's where we get our information. Those are the people who are really driving us to make change in our our programming and how we handle things. So, for example, in um, the Drug Treatment Court program, we really focus on overdose awareness. And um, there's an overdose awareness day. And it's growing and it's 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 huge. You know, all of our participants are trained on the, in naloxone kits. They all get their own kit. Um, and that's not because anyone's telling us to. It's because it needs to happen. And it's a very important piece of, of this. So it's not shocking to us. Um, the, the people who we serve are the people who are telling us what's out there. And it's it's been there for quite some time. Well, you hear the stories. I mean, you know, long before we in the media started talking about fentanyl and carfentanyl, I'm sure you guys already knew that. I mean, that was not mm-hmm. news to you. Uh, because those people are saying, "Yeah, this is this is what what I'm I'm hooked on. This is what I've been doing right now," uh, and and it's interesting uh, when when we look at this and from the medical standpoint and the psychological standpoint, uh, the message here is not just, "Hey, stop doing this." It's it's trying to deal with it at the same time. 
and understand that in, in some cases you have to manage the addiction before you can move them off that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that takes a lot of patience. Definitely. It's a process. And uh, when it comes to looking specifically with opiates, uh, for an individual, for me to just say, okay, well, stop, that's very unrealistic because there's a dependence there. Um, if they don't have that, they're going to be very sick. Um, so which is why some, we have conversations sometimes surrounding um, the methadone program, the Suboxone program, and the other resources that are available to them to help them if they do want to stop, mm-hmm. if that is their choice. You mentioned the Loxone program as well, and especially to do with the, uh, the the fentanyl and the stuff that seems to be going out on the street these days. And we've heard that from Hamilton Police Services. Uh, so they have to be trained in this. So this is, again, that's a key element in managing this. In other words, uh, you know, if, if there is a reliance and if you are still going to be using this, uh, then you have to know how to deal with it. And, and it's it's... I, and there's still a stigma about this, though, that I find in the community. And, Corey, I know that you've had, a, a, you know, some training in law enforcement as well, and, and you go out into the community, both of you guys, and you hear these stories all the time, that what you guys are dealing with on a daily basis are a bunch of junkies, uh, they're, they're, they're just drug addicts, and, and, you know, throw them in jail, you know, take them off that stuff, cold turkey. Uh, but the, the, the protocol that we're hearing from public health, when they were in here the other day, and, of course, from you guys, uh, to do with the SunTrack program and the other work at Mission Services is to control this, is is to understand that this is happening and you can't, as you said, s- just say stop it right now because f- from a physical standpoint, th- that's probably impossible to do. Mm-hmm. But to, to wean them off and at the same time, things like uh, needle control, uh, exchange programs, things of this nature. In other words, there's a, there's a health component to this right now too to try to keep these people alive. Most definitely. And again, if someone is needing to use... Um, say a needle or a pipe or any of those things, that's just another opportunity for us to engage and educate individuals who are using, who may not know safer ways to use. And again, the naloxone kits that we have, so all SunTrack staff are now trained. um, So we have them here. You know, it's about educating. It's about saying, if you're going to use, don't use alone. If you're, um, if you have to use an naloxone kit, it's important to go to the hospital after. It's similar to an EpiPen, if you will. You know, it, it wears off, so we need to make sure that people are safe. And um, that's education, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about educating. Because we, we've people. heard stories from people that had overdoses, took the naloxone, and figure, I'm good. I'm good to go. See mm-hmm. you later. You're not good to go. No, no, you're. That's going to wear off in a few minutes, and and you're still, you've still got that that, that narcotic in you. Absolutely, it's kind of like a band-aid you know that the wound is still there it's just we need to get them to the hospital to make sure that they're they're okay um and then if you were the person who administered the naloxone let's make sure you're okay too because you just watched your friend or loved one overdose and that's a scary piece of this too from the police standpoint and 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 again i'm sure you can talk about this with some of the people that you deal with through the program this this fear that uh, that the police are the the bad guys that want to arrest me, they want to throw me in jail, they want to they're going to turn my house over if I call nine one one if there's an overdose situation. Uh, that that has to be part of the conversation, I would think too, when you're talking to them about the real realities of what they're doing here. Yeah, I think that um, there's a huge fear of law enforcement, and probably rightfully so. You know, we've all had. Well, in some cases, they are breaking laws. Right, absolutely. They're they're scared, and so um, public health often talks about you know getting someone to a safe place that you feel it would be safe. So you know, outside or some of those things. There's a whole bunch of different areas, but reality is is that they're making sure that this person is alive. They're making sure that the person stays alive, um, and that's their primary concern. 
and and to not fear that to call 911 if there's an overdose mm-hmm. situation and 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 first of all save the life and then deal with the other ramifications Absolutely. uh which by the way i know that mission services also addresses as well it's it's not as if you you know those those people are left high and dry i mean there there may be consequences and there may be things to deal with but it's it's comforting to know that as they try to get their lives back together again that there are support services for that element too mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah we're here to help no matter where you are in your journey we want to we want to really focus on what your journey looks like and how to help you through that journey do you see it getting better i mean because we hear these stories and you think oh my god just as soon as you know this the, there was the crack cocaine thing and now now that's it's it's something else and you know just fentanyl and it just seems as if you know, as soon as you get to the almost the end of one road, then bingo, all of a sudden something else opens up for you. Melissa and I talked about this yesterday, yes. actually. We <laughs> talked about how fentanyl is a huge issue. Opiates in Hamilton are a huge issue. Those other things are still there. So alcoholism is, or you, alcohol use and abuse is still very prevalent in our society and our community. Cocaine and crack and crystal meth, those things are still there. It's kind of like the buzzword. And because it's it's taking so many lives so quickly, so obviously there's a huge issue and we need to, um, need to address that quickly. Um, we're, we always feel like service providers were almost a step behind. Yes. And so it's really what can we do as service providers and as a community to try and get ahead of this or stay on par with the issues. And again, that has to do with talking to the people we serve because they're the ones who are going to tell us what's really going on out there way before, you know, the reports from, from all of these different agencies come out. Well, the carfentanil thing, obviously, because like you say, one, one shot and you can die uh, in, mm-hmm. in a matter of minutes, or seconds, I guess, really. Uh, so that's, that draws the headlines. Do you find, though, when people are dealing with addictions that oftentimes they may be wa- more than one addiction? Definitely. Oftentimes, um, I wouldn't say for every individual, but there's a lot of times there is polysubstance use. So we do, it's not just tackling one addiction, it could be tackling two. Uh, sometimes one substance is a gateway to another substance for a particular individual. So sometimes individuals come in thinking, um, saying, you know, I only want to stop using this, I still want to use that. And throughout their journey, oftentimes they do discover that, okay, I also have to look at addressing this substance as if I'm going to be able to abstain from X substance, for example. Yeah, I, I, I want to get off opioids, but I still want to drink, okay? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I go through a 40-ouncer every day, but uh, I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, I guess you have to have that discussion with them, don't you? Maybe not the first visit, but I mean... Yeah. It, yeah, I think it's important to um, have those healthy discussions. And this is kind of where um, Melissa was mentioning earlier, like um, they're in the driver's seat, though. So I don't know if you've ever been told as a kid to clean your room. It's a horrible no, idea. No, I was it's an horrible. excellent kid. It's a horrible <laughs> idea. I know. Me, me neither. Me neither. Um, my mom would tell me to clean my room, for example, when I was a kid. And it was a horrible idea. And I'd sit in the middle of the floor and find something to play with. But when it was my idea, I dove in. And, man, that place was spotless. It's really no different. When it's my idea and I believe in the journey and I have a a, a role, a serious role to play, I can believe in it. I'm, I'm part of the process. And that's a huge piece, again, being client-centered or people-centered in general is, is key. How do you get them to that place, though? Lots of motivation yeah. uh, and tons of encouragement. Again, even when, and when they're unable to see it, letting them know that you see it. You see these small pieces here and um, encouraging, encouraging them to see the good in things, which very, is very uncomfortable. Similar to seeing the, the good things in law enforcement for some people, right? There's great things with our law enforcement. You may have had some negative you know, issues because you broke the law or something like that. But really, um, our police force is being trained on all of these 
things so they can help, not so they can throw more people in jail, right? So all of these things, it's really just encouraging people to see the positive in, in things and, and, and it within themselves. I think that's what's so important about our harm reduction program is that when clients come into service, we don't tell them you have to be abstinent. They get to make the choice in regards to what they want want to do. And oftentimes when they have that choice, they're able to come to certain conclusions on their own and then they feel more empowered by that. Mm-hmm. I, and I mean, for somebody who does have that facade that, you know, n- nobody likes me and I don't like me, etc. And I'm sure they're sincere when they feel that way and say that to you. But the fact that they approached you must tell you that there's a crack in that armor someplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They're here for a reason, right? Whether they were told to be here or whether they chose to be here, they're here. They came through the door. That's right. And and that I guess now you have to find where that crack is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that motivator? And again, just like Melissa said, when if they can find out what their motivator is, whether it be family, their children, their friends, maybe just they want to live. Um, yeah, it's it, finding that, and it's kind of like that eureka moment. It's pretty cool. So, this is a rewarding career. I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this into a career day, <laughs> but I mean, because we've talked about some of the dark things that have to be done, and you're dealing mm-hmm. with people with some very serious issues and some very serious problems. But uh, let's go down the, uh, and and sometimes it it doesn't work out. Sometimes it takes an awful long time for it to work out. But uh, for some people, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's got to be a, a, a banner day for you and for the client, for the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's um, seeing that little glimmer of hope and then encouraging them that it's there and you can get there and mm-hmm. a little bit closer each day. You know, the famous saying, one day at a time. Um, I, say, I think I say that quite a bit in my meetings, and it's just looking at today for it is, and the light will continue to get brighter and brighter. And I think that um, understanding that success looks different for every individual. You know, um, some of of us graduated high school or, you know, whatever with 90s and, you know, all those (laughs) great marks. And some of us just squeaked by. But bottom line is we got there. And my life, um, if I'm using less substances or maybe I have a lot of time of sobriety between my substance, those are different successes for, for different people. And we need to acknowledge that success looks different for everybody. Well, we've heard these stories about about addiction and dealing with addiction, maybe not to do with opioids necessarily, but quitting smoking or quit, you know, mm. or, or, you know drinking that, that has become a concern. And you'll hear people say, hey, I've gone 35 days. Well, that's a victory for them. Absolutely. You, you know, you don't belittle stuff like that. You say, way to go. Uh, you know, here's mm. hoping for another 35. Yeah, definitely. Again, it just goes back to encouragement and having those people behind us. And sometimes people counting the days, I know there's like apps for cell phones for counting that yeah. some of our clients use and all of those great things. It's just another motivator. It's another way to look look at the positives. It's a, it's a great program, of course. It's called SunTrack. And uh, if you need to get any details about this or you know somebody who might be interested in this, uh, just simply contact Mission Services and they can give you all the details. Melissa, Corey, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks Thank for you very Great much. to have us, and thanks for the great work that you're doing here with uh, these c- programs as well. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.